Join us Sunday, August 7th in North Bend, Washington for Happy Tulpa Time, a fan celebration of Twin Peaks. The festivities kick off at 3 p.m. at Twin Peaks Pub, right next to the world-famous Tweed's Diner, with free trivia hosted by Becky Platt. Prizes go to the winning team. And if that wasn't enough, there will be appropriately Lynchian music from the Cheese Adjusters. You'll love them. Then go across the street at 6 p.m. for the first annual Twin Peaks Fan Film Festival. From uh, Shorts from the likes of Aaron Bourget, Mary Hutter, Amanda Alicia Laws, Matt Leventhal, Amy Morgan, The Blue Rose Magazine's Scott Ryan, and the seldom-screened Twin Peaks Fest documentary from Richard Beamer, Here We Are One More Time. There will also be a costume contest with prizes. Tickets available at the door or through brown paper tickets. And while you're there, have some damn fine pie and coffee. Or go to the falls. Or hang out at Carl's Bench. Or just hang out all over town. Have a great time. You're there, right? I know we will have a great time. So, um, see you in the trees. And, um... In the pub and um, at the cinema. See you soon. Sunday, August 7th, that is, in North Bend, Washington. That's this year, 2022. Okay, that's enough. That'll do. Bye. to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is Brian Kazaska. And today we have a very, very special episode. Ben, who is on today's show? It's the legendary John Thorne. Hey, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. I mean, we heard a lot of positive things about the Wrapped in Plastic archives on Frank Silva. I mean, a lot of people really enjoyed hearing Frank talk in the interview that you did. So thank you for that. And I think we wanted to have you on again to do another one of these. Yeah, no, I'm really glad uh, the first one did well and people liked it. So I'm happy to, um, you know, do another one. And so today we're going to have Don Davis interview, which is, uh, you know, he was Major Briggs. How did you come about getting this interview? I want to just say, you know, first, I I don't, I didn't know Don Davis. I don't know him. I, I can't really, you know, 
say much about him as a person other than the few times I met him and talked to him. So I'll, I'll you know, give you, you know, give it to you from that perspective. We, um, Craig and I, when we were doing Wrapped in Plastic, we would frequently go, uh, try to go up to the uh, Twin Peaks festivals that they would have in August of every year. And that's where uh, we, like so many other fans, would meet uh, some of the actors uh, who had been invited. And in 1996, uh, I think I, I went by myself. I think Craig didn't attend that one. Well, no, no, Craig did go to that one. And so uh, we both went uh, up to the Twin Peaks Festival in 1996. And Don Davis was one of the guests. Michael Horse was there. Kimmy Robertson was there. There were a number of other actors. We you know had a chance to, to visit with him a little bit at the festival, like everyone else did. And we uh, asked him if he would be open to doing an interview for the magazine. And he was quite generous and said yes. And so shortly after that festival, we did... A um, the first of a couple of phone interviews uh, with Don Davis, this interview that we're going to hear some parts of were about his work on Twin Peaks, of course, and he was well known at the time for working um, in uh, the X-Files. And so we had that chance. Um, a couple of years later, we had another interview with Don Davis, which was just exclusively about his art. He was uh, an artist. He, he did sketches and paintings. And, and so we, we always liked to try to highlight you, you know the actor's work outside of Twin Peaks as well as in Twin Peaks. Um, and so we're not going to get into any of that today, but I just wanted to mention that we we did uh, spend some time talking to him about that. And if anyone wants to look for that, Oh, I'll try to, I don't even remember what issue it was in, but I'll try to find it. Uh, anyway, so we, we had a kind of a good relationship with Don Davis um, and uh, he was just a, a wonderful man. And, and it was great having that chance to talk to him about Twin Peaks. And a lot of these uh, interviews, of course, is in Wrapped in Plastic and it's in your book, uh, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic book as well. Yeah, this interview, the full interview, if you want to hear or read uh, all about his other work uh, on X-Files and all that other stuff was in Wrapped in Plastic number 26, which came out in December of 1996. Uh, and so if you know, anyone can want to try to dig that out or find a copy. And yes, it's uh, portions of the, um, the Twin Peaks uh, content from this interview are reprinted in, in my book, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic. The first thing I think one of the interesting things is you're asking him about um, how he how he came about to play Major Briggs. Yeah, we you know, uh, as as always, we uh, asked uh, the actors, you know, how how they came to the part, you know, what was uh, you know, what was their path to to the part. And as usual, uh, they would tell an interesting story about uh, their how they were cast. Um, and I think uh, we'll you know, we'll listen to what happened with him and David Lynch. But uh, it's similar to uh, the way, you know, we've heard other stories about how Lynch um, approaches connecting with an actor when they when he first uh, when he's first meeting with them. And it's less about the role and more about the actor themselves. It was fairly unorthodox. Casting the pilot. And I had because I have a pronounced American accent. Uh, I wasn't able to get any work on commercials in Canada, and that, uh, for actors trying to get started, uh, commercial work can be very lucrative. Oh, yeah. So some friends suggested that I go, man, since I was a landed immigrant in Canada and still am, uh, was and am a U.N. Uh, citizen, uh, I could work both sides of the border. So 
Some people that were working both sides suggested I get an agent in Seattle to do the commercials, and I did. And when uh, they came up to do the pilot, uh, the agent got me an audition for Major Briggs. Okay. Uh, it was in an evening. I was actually filming that day on something else, and so my audition was like at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> and uh, I got there, uh, and there weren't sides. Hmm. You know you know what sides Right, yeah. Right. There were no sides. And so uh, I asked the casting person, you know, what, what the deal was. <laughs> I said, well, we're, we're going to get you some sides, but David will just talk. First. Right. And uh, he wound up uh, recognizing the accent and asking me where I was from. And uh, we started talking about trout fishing. <laughs> because fishing is, uh, in the Ozarks, it's, it's, they're known for their you know, bass and crappie and trout. Uh -huh. And we spent most of the time talking about that. And the only real question about performance that came up. Uh, uh, I mentioned that I had been a captain in the Army, and the only uh, question about performance that came up, you asked if I could uh, cry on camera, and, and I, it had just happened that I had done a thing called Beyond the Stars, which I played Martin Sheen's partner. It's an astronaut story. Yeah. Huh. And I had had to, of course, cry in it because my partner was dying. Huh. Uh, so I told him, yeah, and that was about it. That was <laughs> the only question about acting that occurred in the interview. <laughs> and my role was, uh, at least for the pilot, was really just a day player role. We had a couple of scenes, one of which was cut, so there was only one, you know, about two seconds in the pilot that I'm even on film. Mm -hmm. But he did mention at that time, you know, uh, on my last day shoot, he said, "Would you be interested in coming down to L.A. if, if you know, when we're picked up, uh, if I made you a recurring character?" Right. I said, sure. So that's what happened. It's interesting. Interesting to hear that again. Um, not interesting to hear myself interrupting him <laughs> every, every two seconds with a uh huh and a uh huh. But um, you, you know, uh, I, he reminds us that he was actually was in the army, so he had that kind of background, and I think that probably helped him when he when he met with Lynch. And um, well, you know, Lynch is more interested in talking to him about uh, fishing and getting to know him in that respect. Um, and then, um, I, yeah, he wanted to know if he could cry, which is which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and did Major Briggs cry at all? He didn't actually cry at all in the first season, if I think about it. I'm trying to think if he, if he did. No, but I don't. You know, emotion, maybe just. I think they wanted to find someone who did have it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about. I mean, he's going to talk a little bit more. We asked him about this. But, um, you know, there was some depth to this character. Because the interesting thing about Twin Peaks, and Major Briggs was one of those striking characters. I, I remember this clearly from watching the show when it was first on. You know, they would show you these characters that look like stereotypes. You know, they look like, oh, here he is, the hard-nosed military father. You know, he's not going to, you know, take any anything from his son. And, and it kind of started out that way. And then, as Twin Peaks would often do, he would find out, wait a minute, this character is so much more interesting than this 
stereotypical facade that they gave us at first. It almost like they could invert you, you know, they inverted yeah. it. And, and, and then you realize, oh, he's, he's this very spiritual person. And so, and so that may have been part of why Lynch was asking him. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But, but it reminds me of my response to the character that we watched on the show, how you, you were almost set up to think of him in one way. And then that, you know, there's some of that wonderful uh, shift that occurs when you start seeing him another way. And, and that's yeah. one of the beauty, you know, beautiful things about Twin Peaks. We saw it with other characters. Albert's another great example, you know, they kind of present him as one way. And then he, he kind of has his other side. I'm almost certain Lynch was, was thinking about this character as far more than what he was going to be on the surface. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned uh, uh, fishing. I mean, you get to have, I, it of course makes me think of the second season with, uh, with Cooper and Major Briggs going out fishing, camping and stuff like that. So I don't know if that yeah. was used because of uh, Don Davis's own experience or not, but it just, of course, that's where my mind goes. It's like, oh yeah, yeah Cooper and uh, <laughs> Major Briggs went fishing. You know, you never know. And of course, that was in the second season and, and it, it might have been more Harley Payton. Uh, you know, by then they, they get to know their actors a little bit more and, and, um, they thought, you know, this, this fits, this makes yeah. sense that this kind of person would go do that. Who knows? I, I, I right. could definitely see that though. And then you go on to ask about, uh, you know, did he see that this was going to be a special show and, you know, filming the pilot? I, I mean, this is something you've asked and we all ask that, like, you know, yeah. like the fans think this is such a special show. Did, did the actors realize right away you're working with Lynch and, and how <laughs> special this show is? Yeah, I mean, I know, I know he, he talks a little bit about it. I think, uh, you know, some of them didn't realize it. You know, some of them kind of sensed, obviously working with Lynch, there was something that was a special thing. But whether or not it would become something uh, more, I don't think they any of them really knew what right. was coming. Quite honestly, I didn't. I, uh, I, I at the time was working. Uh, it was just kind of crazy. And through the, the whole shooting of the thing, I... In fact, the second year, I had regular recurring roles on two series in Canada, so they were flying me back and forth two and three times a week to try to work around. Uh, I did by the time we got down and, 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 uh, and did the series, of course. I, I thought I was the luckiest guy alive. <laughs> came out, but for the pilot, no, my role was so small, mm -hmm. and uh, my involvement was so short uh i'd be lying to you if i said it was anything other than another job yeah so i mean i mean what i not only is it interesting that he didn't you know he is just another job but like to realize he was working he was so busy doing other things like you don't always think about that you think okay this is his you know he's doing this job but he's got right. shows and movies and whatnot yeah you know i think he was a pretty busy guy uh may he may have gotten busier after twin peaks um i know we asked him briefly i don't think we're going to hear it but he, he he had a part in the movie uh, a league of their own oh, yeah which mm. was a very popular movie tom hanks uh was the star of that and um he i think he plays like the assistant coach in that mm. and so he was he was busy you know people uh, people were drawn to him to play these these various roles um and uh, and and he squeezing he was squeezing Major Briggs in uh, around all that. And then you start getting into some scenes. I mean, you talked about a scene with with Bobby at the funeral. I think we're talking about the scene. Well, there was a couple of scenes where you know Bobby's getting ready to go to the funeral, but there was also um, 
um, I think we're going to get into the scene where they're having the dinner, uh, or this is again early in the first season where um, Bobby's smoking at the dinner table, hmm. and um, I, I, I think I'm right about that. That's coming next. But but either way, we asked him about working with. I mean, the two people he worked with the most were Charlotte Stewart and Dana Ashbrook, and so we we just asked him what it was like. Um, you know, obviously he has this uh, tension with Bobby and, uh, you know, working with, with Dana Ashbrook in, in that respect. And then um, and working with Charlotte Stewart. And he, he um, of course, he's very generous as he talks about his, his co-stars. It's always very relaxed. Uh, uh, people seem to hit it off. Uh, Dana and I hit it off right from the first. Charlotte and I, the woman that played my wife, Stuart, we... We just really hit it off. She's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. But no, Dana and I were always, we just got along well, and, and we're total opposites. Uh, it was one of those things, we uh, you start out assuring each other that <laughs> it's only acting and then it's going. In fact, that one scene at the dinner table. Right. Uh, where I had knocked a cigarette out of his, his mouth because, you know, I've spent alive being an athlete and then a, a military man and then doing the stunt stuff i was worried about hurting him and the opposite was true he kept saying come on don't hit me <laughs> uh, he, he, people were very very enthusiastic by the time we all got down to la and started filming uh, there was a feeling that this was going to be really groundbreaking and so it was more like uh, kids at summer camp and anything. It, that's that's interesting too. So yeah, he, I guess when he was doing the regular role and they were going down, that's when they that's when they got the sense that there was something, yeah, um, something special going on. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, it, Don Davis was uh, he was just he was such a nice person and um, he, he he's so generous. He's so generous with his compliments to. Uh, to the actors and you know i think we're going to hear a part here coming up where he talk talking about um just what it was like to be on that that set you know what it was like you know you know you got to imagine it was it was a lot of people working there and that show was 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 intense but um he talks about how it, it was it was fun it was calm and and, and how lynch um maintained that kind of sense of of um uh, relaxed atmosphere uh, on the set. I think he's going to talk about, we asked him about, you know, working with Lynch and all that. And, and I think he's going to talk about um, the, one of the scenes that Lynch directed in this early second season uh, where um, Briggs comes uh, to Cooper's room with the message. I don't remember there being much attention on that. In fact, one of the things that I tell everyone about David Lynch is that in two and a half years of association, I never ever saw him uh, evidence any anger or raise his voice to the extent that on one scene that we had done, uh, the scene when the giant and I are in Cooper's bedroom, uh, somebody came running in, uh, from the editors and saying that when the film got back to the processing lab had done something and the, the chemical mix was wrong and the scene came out with a strange tint to it 
And David just laughed and said, well, don't panic, let me look at it. And he went up and looked at it, and he came back and told us, he said, it, it was fine, it looked kind of weird, and it'll work for the scene. <laughs> He's a very calm man. He is a calm person. Do, do you remember that, too? You remember that? There's that sequence um, it's so where weird. There, there's a weird, there's something weird happens to the, I can't remember exactly what. I don't know if they used it as the dream <laughs> sequence of Cooper dreaming about the owls or not what they seen. And then, and then we see like this weird lighting and weird. Yeah, and it's like the film is kind of like dissolving or whatever. I yeah. think that was one of those great instances where it was an accident. It was never intended, right? You know, and 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 he relates the story there, uh, which is a great behind the scenes little snippet of how that happened. And Lynch is like, fine, you know, this it's like it's even better now. <laughs> It'll work just fine. So. Um, and so, yeah. talking about Lynch being angry, I mean, I feel like we see behind the scenes that Lynch does get upset, but he was <laughs> under so much more stress, I think, for the return season three, where he had a very tight budget. He couldn't tight schedule and he probably didn't have that luxury of being like, hey, we can we can, you know, just deal with it. It's not surprising that tensions would boil over a little bit on a production like The Return. I mean, they're, they're filming 18 hours of, of yeah. film, you know, of story and. Lynch is completely, you know, the one he's he, there, you know, he's the one who's got to make this happen and he's got to make it happen the way he wants it. Oh yeah. And yeah, we've, we've seen those scenes and they're on now. They're almost like memes that we see all the time online. You know, <laughs> David Lynch complaining about how long, matter how long a scene is. What is this with everybody? No, 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 no. What is it? It's really? Why? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm serious. Fucking A, man. It drives me nuts. Who gives a fucking shit how long a scene is? But I think, you know, when he was filming Twin Peaks, and I think even when he's filming the most of the time when he's filming The Return, um, he's just, you know, he's kind of in the moment and he's enjoying the making of um, of the of the film. I, I just, I recall a quick little snippet of an interview we did with Gino Silva, who was a small uh, part in Mulholland Drive. Mm. And... Um, Gino Silva talks about uh, a, a sequence where uh, David Lynch is on the set, on the set, painting the room numbers on Justin Thoreau's apartment room. You know, he's like, he's, he's actually painting the numbers and Gino Silva standing there and I, David, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but the, the, you know, the content is that Lynch turns to Silva and says, isn't this the greatest thing that we're doing this? You know, Lynch is just enjoying, he's painting these room numbers and, yeah. and, and it's like, that was, that was rewarding to him that he was creating. So I think, you know, I think Don Davis um, is, is relating to us that experience of working with Lynch. Um, So that's something, isn't that great? Yeah. And you do hear, I mean, like today you hear stories all the time about bad things happen on sets and you have tension with actors, at least from Don Davis's experience, he seemed like he really enjoyed working with all the actors. He had good experiences with the director. So, I mean, yeah, and I think that gets back to, you know, what he was talking about right at the beginning. I think when Lynch is casting, uh, he's finding people that he is comfortable with or comfortable with him. Lynch is getting yeah. a sense of how they're going to be comfortable with each other. And that's, I think, you know, there's something to be said about that. I, I, I'm, again, I'm an outside observer, so I, not, I don't know what it's like to be working on a, a movie set or anything, but I imagine you want, you, you want all the people you're working with to try to get along and, and, and be compatible. And I think that helps the creative process a great deal. 
And I'm sure Lynch, that's that's part of Lynch's trying to find that atmosphere and that that allows maybe for even greater creativity. So, and you talked about uh, with Don uh, about how he played a bigger role in in season two. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's fascinating. Right. I mean, we all remember the first time we watched Twin Peaks, uh, how, again, you know, uh, Major Briggs looked to be kind of like one thing in season one. And then in season two, all of a sudden, he's one of those characters uh, that is, you know, like the log lady to some extent. Mm-hmm. They can see past the everyday or they have some insight to a larger universe. And that starts to come out in um, uh, in season two. And so, yeah, we we asked him about that, that change in his character. Once I got down to L.A., uh... Uh, in the first season, I was only contracted for four out of the first seven, <laughs> which worked for me because of obligations I had up here and because my character simply wasn't in the storyline. But I had been told, uh, I guess by the second or third, the second episode I was in, that, that Briggs was going to be revealed as being one of the most spiritual, if not the most spiritual person in the village, which seemed odd from the first two or three episodes oh, yeah. dialogue that he had. <laughs> so, so they and knew what was in their mind all along. Mm-hmm. Wow. That he was going to grow and, and we hit it off. They seemed to get positive feedback on the character from viewers and and, uh, and we got along and, and so they just built it up. You've got to remember that the period that I was in the army uh, was the I got. I went into the army in, in '65 mm. until '60, '67, uh, almost '68, uh, which was during the Vietnam War. Right, right. Yeah, and I served under many people who uh, seemed to be Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Partly, I think, because of what was happening uh, both at home and and. Uh, on military locations, you'd, you'd serve under somebody that uh, during office hours would be by the book and, and uh, the most rigid and at times seemingly unreasoning person you'd ever met. Mm-hmm. You'd meet the same person off hours and discover that they were a poet or, or they painted or they, they uh, grew bonsai trees. Uh, Huh. One guy that, 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 that I would have told anyone until I got to know him that he was a Neanderthal madman. <laughs> he was a freak for bonsai trees. He was amazing, you know. And he was, he, and he had a, a very poetic soul. It was very. I just drew bricks from people that I'd served with. That's a great. That's a great little anecdote there. How Don Davis had this experience being, you know, in the active military during Vietnam. And uh, working with people, as he said, who, um, you know, on on you know, one part of the day or, or certain times were these rigid taskmasters and and um, no nonsense, and then, you know, they had this other side to them where they were creative people or that they were spiritual people, and it's just fascinating that Major Briggs somewhat has uh, his roots in Don Davis's experience with real military people. I I think that's really interesting. It is something else, yeah. 
And I love this thing about how they were saying to Don that uh, he, that uh, Major Briggs is going to turn out to be the most spiritual person in the village. He said the village, it's the village. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the idea that he is spiritual and like, yeah, I mean, now we can look at second season there that you know, the log lady and Major Briggs are very spiritual characters that they see beyond the plane of, you know, everyday life or something that there's another maybe a, a more spiritual world out there that they can relate to. Yeah, you know, and again, it's just reminding me of how much, uh, you know, Twin Peaks kept opening itself to us. And why, and, and I think for me, why I just kept becoming more and more fascinated with it as it went on. I mean, that was an unexpected thing, um, Major Briggs, to suddenly be this um, this character who was, was going to be almost like a guide or um, a very, I don't want to say powerful, but really important person uh in regards to the greater mystery of what was mm -hmm. happening in twin peaks and and i just you know every time you'd watch an episode you kind of get pulled further and further into this expanding world it and um it, it's interesting to hear him say that they um that they kind of had a sense that they were going to do that with Briggs. That they were going to make him a more uh, a significant character as the story went along yeah yeah, I don't know if you would say he's like a shaman, but maybe he's like he's like an elder. He has these answers. He has history of not only the military, but maybe the spiritual side of things. And that he, from time to time, Cooper could go to him with getting to get answers. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that great there's that great scene between the two of them. I'm going to get the dialogue wrong, but you know, it's early in the second season where, you know. Uh, uh, Briggs shows up and he says, I, you know, I, you know, I work this and I've got this, but I've got this thing. I want to show you this, this transcript and Cooper's speaking as a, an, an agent of the government. I understand, you know, they, they're like, they're meeting, their minds are meeting on their, their service to something greater in terms of the country or in terms of law enforcement or, uh, but then they, they are connecting on this other level as well, that there's these two spiritual beings who are seeing, you know, maybe that their service to the country or their service to, uh, you know, to, uh, to society demands more than just the oaths that they've taken, you know, that they're, they're, they're serving something else as well. I, it was just, it's such a wonderful dynamic between those really characters. Is. And then you go on to uh, ask him, which I'm so glad you asked about this, about uh, what is this whole, the owls are not what they see, <laughs> which is, Probably the mystery that I'm always most interested in, and I wish we we heard more about it in season three. But well, yeah, season three is a whole different thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, we understood. I just want to I want to you know preface this by saying we understood that the actors couldn't give us necessarily the a, a true meaning to some of what Twin Peaks was about because they were actors and they were reading the lines that were written for mm -hmm. them, obviously by. Frost and Lynch and, and Peyton and Engels and and it was Frost and Lynch who really had the secrets, you know, of deeper meaning if there was any. But I think it was valuable to ask the actors what they thought. I and mean, we asked Michael J. Anderson about, you know, what he thought he he was. And and you know, we asked Catherine Colson. And, you know, as actors, they had to kind of find their own sensibility with the material that they were they were performing. And so I think there was a value to asking them about these things so you could kind of get their perspective because they were conveying it to us. And, you know, you can't really take it as canon necessarily, but um, but they had a, a perspective that 
really nobody else had about the material they were conveying. So yeah, we asked them about some of that. Simply that the owls were in, in uh, some sense a, a representation of uh, a greater power uh, that it was through the owls in those woods that these entities, uh, be they forces for good or ill, Ill mm -hmm. uh, uh, communicated with us and affected our lives. That they themselves were, were beings, but that they were the tools of these forces. Yeah, so I mean, I, <laughs> I am so fascinated I, with the whole owls. I love to think that the spirits were like somehow in the owls and yeah. they, like, especially when they say, who is Bob? You know, where is Bob now? And we see the owl in the, you know, in yep. the woods there. But mm -hmm. it's what a great take that he that he has. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? I mean, it, I, I just I'm always interested in in some of, of the actors really do think about it. I mean, they really do spend time contemplating uh, the deeper meaning of what it is they're performing, and I think they do have valuable insight to, uh, to offer. So, yeah, it was interesting to to hear him give that. And what is your take, uh, John? What, what have you thought more after you know thirty years? Where where do you stand <laughs> with the owls or not? What they seem? Probably not too much different than what he's talking about. I mean, the whole idea of um, the, the forest almost being an entity in and of itself—that there was something about the woods that surround Twin Peaks, as if the woods themselves are a presence or alive, and elements of the those woods, like the owls that would live in there, uh, you know, it, um, just ways for that. I mean, this gets kind of, I know it gets kind of hokey, but the, the presence for whatever it is to manifest or communicate or whatever with the people uh, in, you know, in the towns, you know, the, is it the log lady who first says the owls are not what they seem? I, I think it is. I think it is. Um, yeah. And so, you know, what do the owls seem? <laughs> they seem like they're birds in the trees, but they're not, you know, they're more, they're, they're a watching presence. I always like that about Twin Peaks. I think when Donna and James are burying the necklace and owls looking at them, you know, yeah. as if there's this presence is kind of keeping an eye on everything, whether again, as Don Davis says, you know, maybe there's good presences and bad presences and they're using the owls. I, you know, I think some of that comes through in, I know we don't, we only see one owl briefly in, in the return, but there is a sense of beings watching in hmm. the return and in other David Lynch's work too. That there's, there's other entities that are observing, that there's these observers. Uh, often in the return, we see them as other um, human figures, you know, these odd figures who are in the shadows or, mm. you know, there's a two strange people where at Beulah's who were kind of there when Mr. C comes to pick up um, Ray and Daria, but there's others too throughout. Um, I mean, even, even deputy Jesse Holcomb could be considered a watcher. He's, mm. he's just sort of observing things and, and contemplating them. And so I like that. I, that's one of the really great appealing things to me about Twin Peaks is that there are these, beings, whether they're human or, or animal, that are observing us. And, and, and you wonder, what are they thinking? <laughs> what Are they passing judgment or are they, uh, you know, are they just simply 
you know, conveying that to something else. I don't know, you could, you could go on and on. I'm babbling, but, but no, like it, this, I mean, I'm yeah. always fascinated by this stuff. <laughs> we mentioned about the log leading the owls. I, the first time I remember it happening was in the first season. We're at the log lady's uh, home yeah. mm-hmm. and she says the, the, the owls won't see you in here or something yes. like that. And yeah. I believe that's, a, I think that might've been co-written by Mark Frost. So I don't know. Oh. Is Mark Frost the one that maybe well there's no doubt at all that that first season is Mark Frost I mean there's no question at all I mean we can say we can assign almost everything from that first season to Frost with the exception of a few like the the dream sequence uh you know that Lynch directed uh for the for the European pilot ending and then they turned it into part of an episode but but yeah yeah uh and that's a great you're right that's a great reminder the owls will see us in here so you know we don't want the owls Right. To see us, those particular owls, maybe we better hide from them. So, fits in. Good stuff. And so you, you went on to, to mention it to Don Davis about the uh, aviator's outfit there and 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 time travel, which I, I think is wonderful too that you brought. Yeah. That up. Well, he has a little anecdote here, which is great about um uh about that scene. We you know there's that scene uh, later in the second season. He's um, Major Briggs has disappeared. Uh, and now he comes back, and when he comes back, he's wearing this old aviator's outfit, mm-hmm. like World War One or whatever, which implied that he traveled in time. And and you know, we're going to get to the anecdote, but but it's kind of important to remember, you know, that the, the, the time travel powers or capabilities of Major Briggs are sort of a crucial element of the return, yeah. because though Major Briggs isn't. Um, you know, a, a big presence there. Obviously, sadly, Don Davis passed away before. You know, he couldn't he couldn't reprise the role. But um, but they still kind of played on what they had established here in in the second season that maybe Major Briggs could travel in time. And mm-hmm. in fact, maybe he went and saw some things that were going to happen, and he he made plans. And Mark Frost, I think, really kind of expands upon that in the Secret History of Twin Peaks, where really the core character in that book is major briggs which they call the archivist for most of the book but then um we find out at the end is major briggs and so briggs was this behind the scenes player you know who was kind of pulling levers and kind of keeping track of stuff and it all kind of stems from that brief little scene where he pops back up in the briggs living room wearing this old aviator's outfit. Um, and, and so we asked him about that, and then he has a little anecdote about the outfit itself. We rented that from a film museum that had been worn by Gary Cooper. Oh, really? <laughs> I was warned that if I hurt it, that it was much more valuable than I was. <laughs> Four sizes too small, so I took great care not to breathe deeply. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, did, uh, there was some suggestion maybe that, that Briggs traveled through time. Did did uh, did Lynch? Or... That was the point. Really? The way it was explained to me that I had gone to the that I had been taken to the lodge and I had I had uh, had, had uh, further uh, information revealed to me that was then also blocked from my consciousness, uh, which would enable me to provide guidance, spiritual guidance. To Cooper later on. They they did indicate though that he had traveled in time. Is that you, what they said to you? They didn't specifically say, Don, you have traveled. <laughs> in time. That I came back wearing uh, clothing from my journey. Right. Huh. 
That to me meant that I had traveled in time. Sure. One thing that was not brought out uh, during the filming period, which had also been told to me, was that Briggs uh, was actually the best pilot huh. that the Air Force had, that, that I was the kind of guy that would have been the test pilot for astronauts and things. Okay. But that I had this spiritual side, and that that's why I had been shunted off into this this job, which was a very critical job to the Air Force, mm -hmm, right. track of, of these supposed signals from beyond. Hmm. And that, uh, in some way, this business of me being such a great pilot uh, would prove important. But I don't know what that meant. Nothing ever happened. The series got canceled. Yeah. That, I mean, that's great, isn't it? Because I'm sure some of that had to do with Frost. And they were then thinking about Briggs and what he could do and what he might be able to, uh, you know, uh, role he might be able to play if there if there'd been a third season. Well, there wasn't a third season for another <laughs> 25 years. And they didn't forget that, even though Don Davis couldn't do it. The Frost book and then what we see in the return comes right from the thinking they had about this character in season two. And so I know a lot of people are, you know, so some people are saying, well, it, it didn't really connect as well to the original series, but this is one of those examples where it very much did. And, um, you know, the Briggs that they were envisioning in season two and what they were going to do with him, that found its way in uh, dramatically into the return. Yeah, I really like the concept. I think there was mention in the script that he was the best pilot he'd ever known. Like, I don't remember one of his supervisors. Yeah, there's a scene where he's come back and they're debriefing him in the sheriff's station and then the military come in and kind of whisk him away. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just, you know, hush, hush, they can't talk about it. But I think the supervisor, the Air Force colonel, or I forget who it was, said right. something like, you know, Major Briggs is the best, you know, yeah. the best there is. And, and so it right. did come out that he was this really unique individual. And we think of travel as right. He mentioned astronaut or other ways of travel. But here you're you're like travel through uh, space and time or right. reality and stuff. It's a whole different way of traveling. And well, you know, and, and again, I think I think a lot of this was Frost. Um, I don't want to assign yeah, to any, like but him. but in the return, you know, you've got this whole. We we get it through Bill Hastings, who's being uh, um, mm -hmm. questioned by Tammy Preston about the zone. And and meeting the major and the major had, you know, all this information and he showed up and I mean, all of that finds its roots here in 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 season two. And um, it's fascinating, I think, because you hear Don Davis tell us that they gave him some background context to his character, not mm -hmm. all of which came out in the mm -hmm. second season, but which carried over into the third. Right, and so I, I just think that's that's great. That's something, right? Like, yeah, like, I mean, in, in general, it's wonderful that they honored so many people in the return and to honor Don Davis <laughs> in that way that he, he, right, he continued to be a part of the show and, and he had, he had a part to play. It's, it's something. Yeah. And, and I, and I've, I've written about this, um, you know, when I was writing the book I'm doing now, that there's a scene in the return where we all know the scene where um, the deputies uh, come to Betty Briggs house 
and they want to get some information. They think maybe there's something there that, that she knows about Major Briggs that can help them. Uh, and she, you know, opens the secret compartment and gives them this weird, you know, <laughs> tube. And but she has a great speech where she talks about Major Briggs and he knew this was gonna this day was gonna come that you guys were gonna come and I was this was gonna happen. He hid this message for you. And while it's all about the plot and it's all about the character, for me, Charlotte Stewart's performance and also Dana Ashbrook's there, I think brings um, Don Davis back to us through their performance. I mm. I feel that. Um, I haven't asked either one of them about that, but I feel like they were honoring Don Davis as well as um, the character of Major Briggs. He, he, he seems like he's there in that moment. I really, really like that scene. I love it. I love it. And you, I think, I think there's a brief mention about, uh, you know, his part in the third, if there was a third season. So I just maybe play this and see if. The, um, the the last episode of of, uh, of Twin Peaks indicates that Briggs has received a message from the trap Dale Cooper and and uh, one theory was that if Twin Peaks had lasted for a third season, Briggs would have been one of the guys who was going to go in and <laughs> rescue Cooper from the bad. Okay, okay, that's what we wanted to know. Whether that's all I know. Uh, wow. <laughs> that, that, that if it went on, my character would become much more in I was so disappointed when it didn't go. Oh, yeah. Whether or not that really would have happened anybody. Sure, sure. The uh, shooting script for Far Walk With Me has, has Briggs just appearing briefly, um, telling Bobby to put yeah, out a cigarette. Was, a was that shot? For that, I, I had a 10-week uh, contract again on a film called The League of Their Own, and it shot pretty well concurrently with... Uh, fire walk with me and it was shooting over in the midwest and uh i couldn't be released in order to go work on it i uh, originally i think there were going to be a couple of scenes that wound up uh, all we wound up shooting was one scene with me sitting and reading from revelation and then i don't think it appeared did you know about the revelations piece because of course we hadn't seen the missing pieces back in 96 john uh no but i think by 96 i had read the script or... the script and i don't remember when i read the the earlier draft because there's two scripts out there one of them has you know some more information in it before they revised it uh i, I can't remember but i think i'm just listening to that it didn't sound i didn't sound like i was surprised <laughs> so yeah, i think it didn't sound like I, you were surprised you yeah know. i think i think i knew about that scene and, and I will just say, I don't know if you're, well, I don't know how you're going to edit this. So if you want to cut this and everything else out, that's fine. But if you do keep it in, what you did hear, um, the other voice you heard for some time, there was Craig's, Craig Miller's voice asking the question of uh, Don Davis. So I, I, yeah, and if you cut it, it's fine. It's all good. But if, if you keep it in, I'm just mentioning it was good to hear Craig again. So you guys were a team. You guys got, got a lot of great interviews over the years. Yeah. Yep. We did. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, he, it's hard to hear some of these things, but he, he he seems to say confirming that he he believes that uh, Major Briggs would have played a bigger part in if there was a season three. Oh, I think there's no doubt. I think we all we all kind of knew that, given that great final scene where uh, you know he uh, he's in the Double R Diner and in the last episode of second mm -hmm. season, and mm -hmm. uh, Doctor Jacoby brings Sarah Palmer in, and she channels some otherworldly voice which to this day we can't be certain who she's 
she's channeling and she says, I'm in the Black Lodge with, with Dale Cooper. Um, or waiting some, for you. you wait, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then there's that great, I think the scene ends with a close-up of Don Davis, uh, you know, of Major Briggs uh, taking it in, uh, contemplating the, the, you know, the meaning of what this message is. And, you know, that's season three. That's the, the return. Many, much mm-hmm. of that right. is, <laughs> it finds its root right there too. So, I think we have one more clip here that we, this is this the one that we added at, at the end. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it was going through when we were going through this, looking back at this interview and I, I remember, I thought, wow, surely we asked him about <laughs> the great scene that he has in the second season premiere where he relates to Bobby the dream he had of Bobby. Mm-hmm. And, and again, all, uh, you know, all of the, the content, a lot of the content of season three about Bobby comes from this, um, this scene where Major Briggs has had this dream where Bobby is, has, is going to live a better life and he's going to mm-hmm. be, uh, things are going to turn out well for Bobby. And he shares it with Bobby in this moving scene. And, uh, and so we asked him about that. And what's interesting is the answer had less to do with the content of the scene, you know, what he was saying to Bobby, but in how he, uh, you know, how he performed it, what he did to get himself uh, in that place where he could convey this very powerful moving imagery uh, to Bobby. And so this is what he, what he said. The acting training I had uh, get very heavily, which has helped me on monologues, because the, uh, the, the training that I had as an actor, I actually st- studied under a, a student of Stanislavski. Okay, uh, wow. And uh, a lot of emphasis was put on interior rising, uh, because of the thought that most conversation that is important to the speaker uh, reflects his thoughts about his own life and past, and so that a speaker that is not simply trying to sell you something spends a great deal of time in his conversation with you looking back into himself, and that's a lot of what I was doing throughout that Palazzo monologue. That's what the looks down and the things, which were, they just happened. It was, it was mostly me trying to picture my childhood uh, and the past and the scene that I was describing. Yeah. All right. Bobby, may I share something with you? Okay. A vision I had in my sleep last night, as distinguished from a dream which is mere sorting and cataloging of the day's events by the subconscious. This was a vision, fresh and clear as a mountain stream, the mind revealing itself to itself. In my vision, I was on the veranda of a a vast estate, palazzo of some fantastic proportion. There seemed to emanate from it a light from within this gleaming, radiant marble. I had known this place. I had, in fact, been born and raised there. This was my first return 
reunion with the deepest wellsprings of my being. Wandering about, I noticed happily that the house had been immaculately maintained. There had been added a number of additional rooms, but in a way that blended so seamlessly with the original construction, one would never detect any difference. Returning to the house's grand foyer, there came a knock at the door. My son was standing there. He was happy and carefree, clearly living a life of deep harmony and joy. We embraced a warm and loving embrace. Nothing was held. We were, in this moment, one. My vision ended. I awoke with a tremendous feeling of optimism and confidence in you and your future. That was my vision of you. You? I'm so glad to have had this opportunity to share it with you. I wish you nothing but the very best in all things. Thank you, Dad. I'll see you later, Paul. Okay. For we all know that scene. It's a great scene. And and, right. and so he's telling us there what he did to perform it. And, I, it, you know, it's great to hear him describe that. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad we I'm glad we asked it. And then, you know, we got this surprising, I think somewhat surprising answer because we, I think we figured he would talk about the content of it, which he did, you know, when he was regarding the owls and the time travel. And in this case, he he talked about how he interiorized it and and performed it um because you know one of those great memorable scenes yeah, yeah. it's interesting again to be able to hear for the actor and how he kind of gets that place to be able to give that dialogue i think that's really fascinating because we always want to know what does that dialogue mean yeah. and instead mm-hmm. he's saying well this is how i got to the place to be able to become this character is it's wonderful it really is yeah well, yeah. thank you, John. Thanks for sharing this with us with, with Don Davis. I mean, it's so cool to hear him again I and mean, to hear him, you know, to share the stories and ah, oh, it's something really special. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad we could we could do that. I mean, I, I you know, he really was a great person. And um, uh, I think there was something, you know, we didn't play the clip, but he talks about um, and, and other actors have talked about you know, working with the cast, their fellow actors, and how everybody in that cast was an actor, but also an art, had artists, you know, artistry outside of acting. They painted or they sang or they wrote poetry. Um, and, uh, and, and Don Davis was one of those. Uh, I think what we, we titled the, uh, the, the interview, uh, Don Davis, you know, Renaissance man, uh, or at least that's what we put on the, uh, we put on, that on the cover of Wrapped in Plastic because uh, he was one of those great people, you know, who did more than acting. He, and, and 
as I said, we did an interview with him about his painting, but mm -hmm. um, so many of the people on the cast did, uh, you know, Grace Zabriskie has this great art that she does and um, uh, uh, Richard Beamer takes photographs and, um, well, you know, we could go on and on. And, yeah. and Don Davis was, was another one. And he fit perfectly in with that wonderful cast of people. I mean, it must have been such a great experience to be there around working with peers uh, that were all such great artists. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I think you know that to me that's who don davis was when i think of him i think of him as an artist more than just the actor it, you know obviously that's what he's best known as and was quite successful uh, as but he he was um he was a renaissance man Give us an update on your book. Where are you at with this? Do, uh, can we be so lucky that you might come up this year? I mean, is that <laughs> yes, um, that's the plan. Um, <laughs> right now, as we talk in the middle of June, I'm going through another edit on it. I'm formatting it. I've got the cover kind of figured out. Um, I've, I've, my wife has gone through it pretty closely and found stuff and, and toned me down when I got a little. <laughs> there was a couple of times where I. <laughs> you know, I get a little upset about certain things oh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and other times where, uh, you know, I, I, I needed to, to refocus. And, and so, um, anyway, all of that to say is, um, the light is at the end of the tunnel. The plan is to have it out this year. I can't say for sure when, I mean, I, I want it to be right. I'm probably going to, uh, well, and then it needs to go through a copy edit, which mm -hmm. Courtney Stallings is going to do. She's already given me some feedback, but she's going to do a more detailed copy edit and i don't have an exact date but it's coming um i hope people like it <laughs> and 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 hopefully maybe uh you know when it does uh when it finally comes out um you know if you guys are interested we could we could talk about it which would be great yes definitely yeah we totally and you you told us the title can you give us the title again yeah it's called ominous whoosh yeah. uh, a wandering mind returns to twin peaks and um you know it, it's one of the things inadvertently I think happened as I was writing this was I um, was just realizing the importance of sound and the sound effects. Um, uh, and, and so ominous whoosh is one of the sound effects that you see. If you, if you put the subtitles on while you're watching the return, you see these interesting uh, descriptions of sounds and an ominous whoosh or ominous whooshing, ethereal whooshing, and some other interesting sounds. And the fireman says, listen to the sounds. Mm. And it just, you know, I just realized, oh, you know, I did, again, it wasn't deliberate, but it just sort of made sense as it kind of went along. Like, oh, yeah, the, what we hear is is almost as important, if not more, in some cases, than what we're seeing on the screen. So anyway, uh, that, you know, I think the title actually is quite fitting. Yeah, it's yeah, great. That's I love cool it. Title. I feel like I know the answer to this, but it, any chance there'll be an audio book, John <laughs> reading his book? Uh, wow. Uh, no, uh, I tell you what, I promise you, you find uh, an excerpt you like and I'll read it for you. There you go. <laughs> uh, we're still working on our audio book. Um, and, and, and Brian says that. I don't think we, that's just too difficult for us, but yeah, we should get like, we should get like one of the uh, Twin Peaks actors to, to read. That book. That's what we should. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm, I don't know about that. Uh, 
that'd be awesome. I'm so excited for you. I cannot wait. I think the last book you did, yeah, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic was so good. I mean, it was so amazing. I mean, you had so many years of, of work that you had, but then also adding new uh, essays and stuff was so good. And so I can't wait. I'm so excited for it. And yeah, we, you'll have to keep us up to date on this. And I hope maybe, you know, if we could, there might be some more Wrapped in Plastic archives that we oh, yeah. talk about yeah. to, to do that with you again. And maybe that's our way of continue to find out about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do have I do have some I have lots of uh, interviews and maybe there's one that will fit for what we want to do. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. This is so good. And anything else to share with us? I know. Well, you it, it, you just had um the Blue Rose magazine came out with an issue, and I know you have another issue. I think in the fall, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know the exact date on that either. Scott was really the one, um, uh, and he just he made he made it public yesterday. I didn't even know uh, <laughs> that he um, interviewed Patricia Arquette. Uh, wow. So we're doing a lot. I knew we were doing a Lost Highway issue. He had been hoping that that might happen. But he um, apparently it did happen. Nice. So yeah, you can uh, people can get issues sixteen and seventeen as a, as a combo uh, uh, at bluerosemag.com. And yeah, issue sixteen is out right now. I mean, Scott's got an interview with Sabrina and uh, John. You've written an essay on memories of the last mm -hmm. thirty years. And Courtney Stallings has something. I mean, yeah, you guys have a lot. I definitely recommend you pick it up. Brian, you got your copy, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> he gives a thumbs up. And, and what about the podcast uh, in our house now? How's yeah. that going, Josh? Um, well, it's, it's really just on hiatus right now. I mean, um, Josh and I have talked about it, and neither one of us just had the energy to do it right now. I mean, I'm the book's kind of taken over my life and i i think we will do something it may be abbreviated it might be just one or two i don't know i'm i'm thinking out loud um uh, i'm sure josh and i will do something like uh, you know something else uh but um you know we covered a lot in the first two seasons quote unquote mm -hmm. and um we both felt like well you know and we don't want to repeat ourselves and yeah. you know what can we do we were, we were trying to come up with an, another you guys know how this is trying to come up with a new new way of approaching it and we had some ideas but nothing quite came together so we'll, we'll see what happens well you got a lot on your your play you got the book and the blue rose mag is yeah. another uh, issue 17 in the fall so it's it's a lot yeah. of good things happening yeah 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 i mean still you know I'm thinking about Twin Peaks every day. I, I just love it and um, want to stay involved in some way or another with producing some kind of content, whether it's podcast or the magazine. Um, I, I doubt there'll be another. <laughs> I doubt there'll be another book. But um, uh, you know, you mentioned you know just briefly, you mentioned the first book, uh, and you're right. The first book was a compilation of material that had mm. appeared in the magazine over. 15 you know year 13 years or so the, the just people know and the new book is is all brand new well i mean 95 percent of it is brand new some of the material did appear in the blue rose uh, but even that i rewrote most of it um mm, nice. so this is i mean this is all brand new analysis of the return and my theories of of what i think is happening um I, there are no interviews you know you know if people are thinking it's going to be one of those books where you know i would talk to people about 
know, you know, and there's a few snippets of, of conversation that I had with a few people, but very, very little of that. Um, and, and, you know, in the first book, I had all that interview material, some of which we were just listening to about Don Davis, and I reprinted it in the book. And, uh, and, you know, I liked the way that worked out, commentary on the various episodes. But this book is really just all me, <laughs> just sort of throwing out my, my ideas, uh, you know, uh, trying to, trying to, um, trying to find some way through the 18 hours and, and, and give us a sensible theory. Uh, and I, I totally understand that there are you know, hundreds of theories and this is just one of them, but it's my, it's my theory. And so, um, so yeah, so that's what, that's what the book is. So people know what they're getting into. <laughs> nice. and I, it's great that you've had five years to think about this, right? Cause like, I mean, I think we've had our own impressions while we were watching it, but to yeah. be able to have some time to really uh, think about it. I know you re re rewatched these uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the return uh, over and over again. So, I mean, you really, you really know the, the show well now, and uh, I can't wait to read it. Well, thanks. And you know, it's funny you said that. I remember talking to you guys on a podcast and maybe you can find it before the return aired. And I think you asked me something like, you think you're going to write about it? And I said, and again, I don't remember exact words, but it was something like, oh, I won't be able to write about it right away. It'll take yeah. me years right? to, you know, I mean, it'll take me years to think about this. So uh, if, you know, if you ever can find that, I, I, I remember right. saying that to you. So, and, and it's turned out to be true. So true. That's awesome, though. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's a lot. And your podcast with Josh, it's like listening to your thoughts in real time about those conversations you have are really are awesome. So anybody interested in your book, I suggest listen to the podcast because it's it's like just listening to you spitball some ideas, you know? Yeah, actually, that's exactly right. I mean, there were, I was writing a lot of, you know, of writing chapters and I would find something out and be like, oh my gosh, this is the most interesting thing. And, and rather than just sit on it, I'd say to Josh, let's do a podcast. And so we would talk about some of the stuff I was writing at that time. You know, if there was an Audrey thing and we'd do an episode on Audrey and a thing on, on Diane, a thing on, mm. you know, Kafka's influence on, uh, on the return. So yeah, if you listen, if you, you know, if anybody's interested, um, you can sort of hear my, the gears turning as I'm writing the book and comes through on the podcast. bring this up on our last show brian but i was thinking about just lynch stuff like things are starting i feel like there's some like at least some of his work is bubbling up recently and like brian and i went and saw inland empire on yeah. four, the 4k version of it at our um a, a, a theater nearby so yeah. that and then he's so he's he's releasing that i think soon i think he'll be releasing that on probably blu-ray and then there's lost highway that supposedly is going to be coming out on blu-ray and then i was hoping that we were going to learn something about other works that he's done but that all was lies to us <laughs> yeah well i think yeah i think his work has been primarily um in in restoration and mm -hmm. and grading earlier works uh, the you know the lost highway yeah i guess Lost Highway is coming back out at the theaters with a sort of a new version. I think they're releasing it theatrically. Yeah, and, I mean, and, I saw one theater at least has got doing the 4K version. Yeah, and oh, and wow. then Criterion tweeted out that as well. And I have thought for years, <laughs> given the clues that have been out there, and there are clues yeah. that Lost Highway was in the works 
for yeah, Criterion. Fine. And I think this is just, okay, they finished it. Let's get it out in the theaters. Let's get a little promotion. Let's let people see it. But I would bet, if not this month, next month, very, very soon, Criterion is going to announce the four titles like they do every month. And Lost Highway is going to be one of them. Oh, I, I, I'm willing to put money on that. I yeah. mean, I think, I think, you know, almost definite. And then I, whether or not Criterion does Inland Empire, that's who knows i could right. I, I have no idea I, I, what was it like tell me what it was like i saw it at the theater the first time i ever saw inland empire i guess i'll ask you a couple of questions had you seen inland empire before and uh um so was this your first viewing and what you know what was the experience like seeing it in the theater i We'll just quickly say the first time I saw it was in the theater. It's three hours long. It overwhelmed me. I was came out of it kind of like, I don't know, geez, <laughs> I don't know. And watching it on disc at home, I enjoyed it more because I could stop it and think about it and take my time with it. I suppose having seen it now a couple of times, seeing it at the theater would probably be really neat. But anyway, I, I'm babbling. Tell me what it was like. I would just say for me, I, I watched it one time for our show. I watched it in mm. parts. On DVD, mm -hmm. right. On right. DVD. And watching it in the theater in one sitting after seeing like a, a handful of films that are well over two hours, approaching three hours, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I Because we've talked about it, it wasn't that over... It, it's still overwhelming. You, mm -hmm. You're trying to... I. I kind of put it aside and I just took it in. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's the best way I could have done it is just, just let it wash over me. We just, we discussed about it with Joel Bacco afterwards. Oh, good. Uh -huh. um, so for me, it was a great experience. I, I liked it more seeing with Ben and Andy and Joel mm -hmm. in the theater, cool. having a conversation afterwards yeah, than just watching it at home. So for me, it was oh, good. I like that. Yeah, fantastic. So I saw in theaters the year it came out. So whatever that was, what year was that? 2005, I think. 2005, yeah. So I got to, there wasn't like an art uh, theater near me and I was able to see it. And when I saw it then and when I've seen it on DVD, every time I've gotten a headache from it. <laughs> <laughs> like i mean it really is painful it's like it's like i think i try so hard to like okay try to understand what's going on here what's going on this is the first time i saw it where i it's like i was just enjoying it i was just like mm. i was just taking it in it's like this is lynch's work and i wasn't overthinking it and i almost appreciated it more because i wasn't like trying to figure out okay where are we what's going on and yeah, so I think it was probably the best experience I've had with it. I will say the quality looks a little better, but it's still mm -hmm. there's there's times where I said, "Oh yeah, this is 4K, it looks good," and other times it's like, "Oh, this is, still looks like mud." I mean, it still yeah. doesn't look great. Yeah. What well, what about you, Brian? Like seeing it in 4K? I mean, so I mean, real quick, just say, just to clarify, it's really interesting the way they get to 4K because this wasn't shot on DV, which was not 4K DV video. Mm -hmm. They downgrade the video. And they downgrade it and then they upgrade it to make it. It's really an interesting process that they, they actually bring it down the quality to bring and then bring it back up to get it to 4K. Yeah. What do you it, think, Brian? Uh, I mean, it looked better on the big screen than at home. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right, though. When the picture, it looked brilliant at times, but like that handheld DV stuff, it just mm. looked muddy. The blacks were kind of muddy. It's kind of too dark. Um, it's just kind of like 
when it when it was in the light, I felt like oh, he could see yeah. Yeah, Lord yeah, yeah. pores, and it, it was it was good quality at times, and then other times, right, it just fell apart. But when it's too dark, it it's crunched. It the, mm. the colors are crunched, and the darks are just too muddy looking. But I mean, it didn't. I think it looked better on the big screen, though. You yeah. Know? And again, I didn't get a headache. I was <laughs> in the theater, like, you know, like oh, okay, I can enjoy this. It was like, and and to be honest, there, there there's moments in the movie that are funny. I mean, mm-hmm. you there are moments that have funny humor and, and interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I, I will just say I've gone back to Inland Empire when I'm writing the book for the return because the land Inland empire is the last major work Lynch did before the return. And I do feel very strongly that there's so much from Inland empire that Lynch returns to and re-explores in the return. And I would say primarily Diane's character, which is no Mm -hmm. surprise since it's Laura Dern, one of the most striking for me, and I'll I'll just give a little something away. If you guys don't mind, I don't want to, you know, take up all the time, but it's so interesting to me, you know, we know that, um, that Lynch by himself had to rewrite the Audrey Horn sequences. This is not a secret. Frost has said it publicly. Sherilyn Fenn has said it publicly. So it's no like, ooh, you know, <laughs> gossip or anything. So Lynch is responsible for the Audrey Horn story in The Return. Yeah. And the Audrey Horn story for me, and I think Diane's story is very similar to Audrey's story. But isn't it interesting, you know, the core of Inland Empire is Laura Dern's character. It's referenced in other, you know, as the mon- I call her the monologue woman. You know, the character who comes up the steps and sits down and talks to this guy who mm. looks a lot like Charlie. He's got the little spectacles and he's yeah, sitting there yeah. and he's listening to her. And she is just saying, these are the things that happened to me. And oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Well, it, it, it res- and there's I think there's four monologue woman sections or maybe three three or four and there's four audrey sections where she's basically you know telling charlie what's going on in her life and why things are kind of messed up it's not a one-to-one by any means but it parallels it's fascinating to me and then both characters seem to have these breakthroughs at the end Mm -hmm. um they kind of go you know she talks about the monologue woman does about how you know, she sees a stage and there's people dancing and there's a light. I mean, that's like Audrey's story. And so um, there's that. And then um, and then an interesting parallel, too, is in, in Inland Empire, Laura Dern's character at one point is standing across the street and she looks across the street and she sees herself mm-hmm. uh, across the street. And and Diane, same thing happens to Diane. She's sitting in the car and she looks out the window and she sees herself. And so I think I mean, I've I've found some interesting ways of um, mapping some of the things that happened in Inland Empire to the return in in, in ways I think that help us understand a little bit about what yeah. Audrey and Diane are going through. And mm. so, uh, to me, that's why Inland Empire has such a great value now, because I think um, it really does inform Lynch's approach to some parts of the return. Yeah. So anyway, there's right. my quick, <laughs> my quick summary of that. Um, I, I I don't know if I could go see it at the theater again. I, I guess I'd like to, but three hours, anything right now, three hours is a lot. Yeah. Um, but I like watching it at home. I mean, I I really do. I watched it again in in pieces, like it was a series. You know, I watched an hour, an hour, and an hour. I think, and um, it gave me time to think between you know, each section. Uh, anyway, I, I, I really like it. I, I like it. Yeah. it. It keeps going up in my, 
you know, as I rank Lynch's films, Inland Empire seems to keep bubbling up. It may even, I probably is in my top five now. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah, I'll probably get the Blu-ray of it. I mean, I will probably yeah. get it and, and watch it again and and <laughs> see, see what I think of it. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. But yeah, it's cool that you got to see it that way. Yeah. Are you going to, would you go see Lost Highway? If it oh, came my out? God. That is my yeah. number one yeah. film. So that's yeah. my favorite film. I mean, like I've shared many times before yeah. the first, it came out and I went, uh, I went and took a train to go see it. I mm. drove, I went back home and then i liked it so much i drove i mean took the train again to go back on the t to back so i saw it twice that i was like i was just like what is this uh -huh. I it again just to really like think get take it all in so i just love that film yeah oh good well that that yeah that's cool I, yeah i i bet you you're gonna have a criterion version of that for the end of the year wow. <laughs> i mean sabrina's been talking about it forever i mean lynch was the one that was saying uh don't buy this other blu-ray right of it because i'm putting out my version so yeah yeah he he hinted at that he didn't quite say it but there was there was the implication that oh they've got something and i'll bet that they'll have extras some sort of extras yeah. you know even if it's just minor stuff if we see That'd some be behind funny. the scenes uh, that would be cool i don't I, I mean i don't know if they'll show anything deleted but i think there were some deleted I, well i know martha knockhamson who we all know is a scholar of Lynch has written books. She yeah. uh, is in a scene that was cut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, she's wow. in a scene where they're taking, um, I think they're taking Fred to jail, you know, and they, yeah. I think she's in a, she's, you know, a background or non-speaking part or, or something. It would be cool to see stuff like that. Be. Yeah. Maybe we will. We, I know we just, it was a few, several months ago, we did a community rewatch of Lost Highway and we had the, the unseen players go and read all the deleted scenes or like stuff that oh, was okay. scripts and stuff like that. So that was fun to see that, that there are, at least in the script, there's scenes that were not shown in the movie. So it would be neat to see if they actually filmed them and we could watch the deleted scenes. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Lynch seems to be a little more interested in some of that i mean he did it with blue velvet right and we get a bunch oh, of deleted yeah scenes. we, and we got deleted stuff. scenes from wild at heart i think yeah yep. uh, inland empire has a whole section that's like other things that happen you know <laughs> and so uh, uh which by the way i've never watched that i have ne i need to sit down and watch that who knows maybe like, the key to everything is in that <laughs> sit oh, down and go oh well now it all makes sense but um <laughs> uh you know I, it would be it would be great. I would love to see some some new stuff from Lost Highway. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, John, thank you again for for coming on the show. Do you want to share with anybody where they can uh, they can reach you or check out your work? Right now, that you know, you can follow me on Twitter, which at Thornwhip, T H O R N E W I P. There may be a podcast in the future. I don't know. There's nothing scheduled. So the In Our House Now podcast. Uh, at Blue Rose Magazine, we mentioned that. The new issue. There is a new issue out, and there will be another one coming this year. So those are the places where... And, and um, hopefully my book will be out this year, and you guys will be the first to know. That'd be Thanks. awesome. And while people are waiting, if you haven't read The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, <laughs> go find that on Amazon. Covers seasons one, two, and Firewalk With Me. 
All right. So if you have a comment, a question, or a theory about today's show, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and we're basically in all your favorite podcast places at this point. And we'll be back next month with our Fire Walk With Me community rewatch. So we'll see you then. Thank you.